0: everyone, welcome to the first Crunch episode of the new year. Happy 2020 to everyone. I'm the producer of this podcast, Leslie Wishtiewski, and joining me, as always, is the Game Master Calderick David.
1: Everyone, I'd like to introduce the decade of clarity. 2020.
0: I still like hindsight 2020. We're going to
1: see things crystal clear this decade.
0: I want to be roaring. Roar! Roaring 20s, again. Mm. You don't like that one?
1: I just feel like roaring 20s is so... Prohibition kind of defined it.
0: Well, here's the thing. It's like the 1920s was all about prohibition. This one's just going to be about like roaring in the
1: streets and just screaming. Screaming in rage. The roaring. Oh, I get it. Yeah. Roaring. I see your point there.
0: Roaring. I've just been like roaring inside of my body for the last several years. So we'll see if that continues on into this decade. (laughs) But let's get down. To some more enjoyable business. That is to say, the last couple episodes of the Mythos Manual, we are meeting new NPCs. We are exploring new areas of the jungle. We are, I guess, infiltrating Sugarglade. We'll see what happens with all of that and that giant enchantment that we left out on uh, this past week. Uh, But, Cal, let's dig down. What are are some moments that stood out to you uh, this session?
1: Uh, These were two really fun uh, sessions, I think. It's fun. I, what I like so much, again, about this game is that I, as a GM, never totally know what's going to happen. Like, that's a real treat as a GM, is to kind of have to be a little on your feet the entire time of what's going to happen next. Like, I have obviously have, like, notes and, like, a lot of, like, things written about every little thing that's about to happen. But, like, to an extent, like, I don't, like, you know, the players are such an X factor to everything. Yeah. That I don't know how things are really going to go until we get there. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, so these were really fun. These were a delight actually because I could never have told you the events as they played out, how they played out.
0: What what do you think was the most surprising for you?
1: Um I I think most surprising was the laughing dog tribe g- coming back with the players to the uh poema camp. I just did not count on that. That was never in my notes. That was never something I thought they would do or like but here we are, and it's fun. Like, it's it's a fun choice.
0: Let's invite these evil creatures into our home and give them shelter from the, I guess, more evil jungle?
1: Yeah, it's a, it, there's a sliding scale here.
0: I guess so. The Laughing Dog tribe, they are gnolls, and they are evil-aligned creatures.
1: Yeah, generally.
0: And they're e- not only that, they're evil-aligned creatures that we had a combat with. Yes. And then became kind of are allies to a degree. I think it's interesting. I don't often think about evil aligned races becoming allies in that way. I
1: think that was kind of the point. I wanted to approach this from a uh, a surprise I, like that's like a fun narrative surprise that maybe these gnolls, well, I did want to keep them like they're an evil aligned gnoll tribe. And I have I like gnolls. They're one of my kind of like favorite pet uh like uh, races or ancestries, whatever you want to call them,
0: and they're like hyena people. They're hyena
1: people, yeah. They're they're basically hyena people, and they're they've just always been a pet favorite of mine. I, I like using them in campaigns. They're they're just different orcs, really. At the first, like, if you look at like how they are kind of described at the beginning of like like the role play experience when gnolls were introduced to like Dungeons and Dragons, they're just basically other orcs. They're just like like that's all they really were for a long time. And, you know, over time when things got more and more codified of, like, what, you know, the difference between a hobgoblin, a gnoll, an orc, and, like, all these other kind of, like, races. Evil that, races. Yeah, that weren't necessarily something, like, anything for a while. I think, like, if you look in other lore, like, gnolls are not hyena people in other things. Like, the word gnoll appears, but it's not necessarily always a hyena person. Got it. Yeah, it's not, like, a codified thing.
0: So well, that's good to know. I guess it's it's interesting because it seems like the gnolls have similar goals to the to the PCs, which is get out of the jungle alive. They
1: do, don't they? I think that was kind of uh that was kind of the maybe some of the point there. I liked the idea of introducing this group that was an evil aligned group that were also betrayed by the Charoka, and now there's none of them left except for like, you know, this very small group. And I think, you know, approaching it in this way where Dreth brightclaw who in my as a gm like my viewing of Dreth brightclaw is that she is an evil creature like she is a hundred percent like not in any way a good creature but she does have values like her pups like her pups are important to her and that helps kind of humanize her that we can understand like you know maybe she does do these pretty awful horrendous things but in this instance she can be our ally because our goals are aligned
0: Yeah, definitely. Even if your alignments aren't. Exactly. It's interesting. It takes me back to talking with Alan several, several crunches ago about playing evil characters and the notion that if you play an evil character, your goals to a degree, even if they are your own, have to be on the same path as your good or neutral aligned uh, companions. Yeah,
1: that can, that's really, really true. I mean like there can always be differences in like execution and that's where like good drama comes from. Right. But if you want like to have like a good you know, a good group and a good sense of like everyone's working together, then yeah, that's so important.
0: Getting kind of back into the notion of gnolls being created in kind of this alignment with orcs and other hobgoblins and other evil evil aligned. Traditionally evil aligned creatures. Yeah. 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 I, I think that those types of creature characters have very much evolved from where they started out.
1: Like, so true. So, so true. And, like, well, it's still kind of an ongoing discussion, I think, that is happening in the role-playing community of mm-hmm. what is it, like, what's the point of an evil-aligned race? And, like, that, that really ties in to modern interpretations of like how we talk about like race and gender and a bunch of other things that, you know, these are all built on tropes from, you know, hundreds of years ago or thousands of years ago in some cases. Mm -hmm. And like the views that they had then are not the views we have now. And, but we like to recycle these kinds of ideas because that's how I think we as humanity just, I guess, kind of work is like, we like the idea of recycling our past to create something new. And I think you see a big pushback now against this idea of always evil races. The idea that, you know, the, the best example is always like, you know, my character is a good character. I walk into a goblin village. It is a village, it is a functioning place. However, all the creatures here are evil. Is it okay if I kill all of them? Right. Right. And like, I think, and we look at that from like a modern look, it's like, no. No, it's not okay if you just go in and kill a whole bunch of people that didn't do anything to you. Right. Just because they're, quote, unquote, just because, like, you cast a spell and the spell tells you they're evil. That seems insane to me. Yeah. It really conflicts, I guess, with my own sense of morality. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, that, that is, I'm not alone in that, that. A lot of people feel that way. So I think it's important to maybe declaw a lot of this, like, idea of, like, always evil races. I think everything should be, like, Neutral to an extent. Right. But maybe, you know, and like this can always be, it's always setting dependent. That's the big thing, right? Yeah. You have to just do an extra step to be like, well, in my world, you know, the orcs, they happen to just fall in line. With uh, this, like, evil goddess or something like that. Like, you have to come up with like a thing. Like, why are they evil? Like, yeah, you know, like they they don't know. Like, they, but like you know, they've been worshiping these demons because it was a blood pact or something. Like, you have yeah. to. It can't just be like, oh, they're evil from the time they're babies, and they're just gonna be evil, and that's who they are. It's just such a boring choice because it doesn't reflect the real world at all.
0: Because also, I think that evil aligned creatures still have lines that they have drawn where it's like, well, I'm going to do this and this and this because it aligns with my worldview and who I am. But, oh, that's not cool, right? Because like the, the fact that the gnolls are like the Charuka betrayed us, Yeah, that infers a sense of absolute truth and that there is justice and they have been wronged in some way. Uh, there is a sense of someone did wrong to me. Right. A- agreed. Does, it, does that make sense? Yeah. No. It does.
1: Like that. It. it it's more about because it, it takes. It takes it out of this like lofty alignment debate that's kind of meaningless. Yeah, all alignment charts need to really be, exist for are like for mechanical things I think they just don't matter in story mode I don't care at a certain point like what someone's alignment necessarily is unless
0: they're functioning I think at a in a very different way like if someone is lawful good and they start killing babies then you have to right. kind of throw a flag up and be like what? wait
1: <laughs> red card yeah you what do are have, to, you kinda, doing? You have yeah. to say something or like, people are acting so out of alignment but I also think there's got to be room for people to act out of alignment because people are inconsistent no one is consistently anything
0: that is so true right like, yeah. and
1: and i think there, there has to be leeway there otherwise that's you remove the potential for so much drama and intrigue
0: and i do think that alignment charts definitely have a mechanical purpose but i think also at least in the beginnings of games they serve as a tool to help you know the types of decisions to be making. Broad strokes right yeah. it's, it
1: should be it should be nothing but broad strokes some people get really into like alignment stuff and it's like not Worth it to me. Like, that is not what this should be about. It is not very fun. Like, I like alignment charts because, like, I like things like smite evil and I like, like, little mechanical things that, like, it brings to the game. And that's all. Like, that's all I need it for. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I like the idea of, like, kind of distancing ourselves from this passive always evil races and like you see a lot of modern games are doing that like you know in Pathfinder second edition like goblins have been added as one of the core races Mm -hmm. because it's and like they even kind of do a really good job I think in that book explaining well here's why we thought goblins were always evil because the goblins we were encountering happened to be the bad ones the good ones are over there and (laughs) let's talk about the good ones now and like that's fine like that's all I needed great yeah because there can still be, like, creatures that are always evil. Like, that's fine. Like, there are certain <laughs> creatures that I think that are... Especially when it comes to, like, outsiders. Evil outsiders are representative of evil, right? Like, a devil, a demon, a daemon, a demodand, and whatever else. There's countless. rakshasa, Like, they're all... <laughs> they have, like, this, like, kind of, like... They're meant to symbolize evil. And that's fine. And, like, you can then do fun things with that and blah, blah, blah. But I think as a general rule... Cool.
0: There is that moment in the episode where I think Alan is talking about like, oh, maybe there's a good hag who's against the bad hags. And I have a distinct memory of you in the episode be- saying, maybe, but also let's not get into this habit of trying to... Humanize
1: everything. Yeah. Yeah. And that's because I guess there could be a good hag. Like, I don't see why or, not.
0: Or a hag whose interests are aligned with, with our... With the group. Like, yeah. That's not
1: impossible. Like, yeah. That could have been a route I took narratively. I didn't. Spoiler. <laughs> Spoiler. I didn't. But uh, <laughs> it was something I could have done. I, well, because the hags to me, I, I know hag like traditionally is a kind of, you know, at its, at its most core function is a very kind of like misogynistic trope. Oh, yeah. Right. Like super true. But like that's not what I'm doing with the hags in the story. At least that's not how I feel like what I'm doing with them.
0: Right. Because also I think at a certain point, just similarly to orcs and goblins, like these creatures had an origin point far back in history right? and what we're trying to do with them now is not necessarily that and to to dismiss that historical context is unwise because it's good to have that stuff in mind uh but at the same time you can't you shouldn't erase it i guess
1: Right, no, that's a very very true. Like don't act like it didn't never existed, right? Yeah. But like address it and like maybe do something interesting with it.
0: You're definitely not trying to like make a misogynistic statement about women with these hags. I just hate women. You know what? A lot of people do. I mean, yeah. People hate women. That's why there are hag there's that's why there's hag lore, that's why there's Succubi.
1: Yukiona, yeah, it's all tied together.
0: It's all tied to this fear and hatred of women and the fact that they are Independent human beings with wills of their own that can't necessarily be outright controlled by men. But that's me getting into my own spiel about things. So you talk to us about what you're feeling like with yeah. your hags.
1: A big, the big reason I chose hags as this part of uh, in this story was I wanted them to feel invasive. Hags to me don't really feel like a jungle problem. Right. Right. Like I, I think that the the most obvious jungle problem were the charo ka Like that right. was to me it was like I want to do Congo, but it's not Congo, it's something else. But like yeah. Congo. And that's where we're doing Charo Like that's all this. But I really like telling stories, especially when I'm GMing, is like I like being like, players, this is the problem. And then like I know secretly that was never the problem. This is the real problem. It's a
0: symptom of it's a symptom yeah. of a bigger
1: of a of another issue. Yeah. Exactly that. Like that's mm-hmm. my and like I like Kind of the players slowly figuring out that there's more to an issue than I initially told them.
0: Yeah, because like, if you think about all of the different kind of combats and conflicts, like, yes, the charuka, giant snake, that's classic jungle, giant snake in yeah. a river, hippo attack. Yeah, Like, this is all very emblematic of the jungle setting. Jungle where adventure
1: stuff, where like pulp jungle. Yeah,
0: where the hags felt a little, like, dissonant, and it's, like, weird, like... What's up with these
1: hags? Right. Yeah, they're the, they're out of place. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like the, and they're like kind of the cause. They're the there are problem here is the hags. Yeah, I want to try to sidestep some of the issues with the hags, like oh, the the
0: the feminism, the issues? feminism,
1: like the like the misogynistic issues. Yeah, I don't know how well I may or may not have done. Like a, I never spelled out with in my head in my notes. I never really spelled out what the third hag was up to. It was she was always going to be kind of this like hag to fill into a slot whenever I needed her.
0: The third hag, that the meaning one
1: that died, the one they killed first, the, the the
0: the hag that was that killed Little Cloud.
1: Yeah. Okay. Cool. Like she was always kind of like off in the periphery of my notes. Like there are three hags, of course, but then there's a third one who I don't know what she's doing and she'll pop up when I need her to pop up. Right. It was kind of like whenever I have a narrative moment where she's going to fit in, that's where I'll throw her in and that's why she ended up in the scene. She ended up in because I pretty much ad-libbed that entire scene. Right. Right? Like I made up all that as I went and like she, like that was a good moment where I could be like, I pulled this kind of like thing out of my notes, because I wanted to introduce the hags at that point in the story. Right. And this seemed like a perfect opportunity to do it.
0: Definitely. Well, I think it's interesting, like, talking about the invasiveness, because obviously these hags are having a negative impact on their environment. To me, it's very reminiscent of, like, I grew up in Kentucky, and Eastern Kentucky is dealing with, like, a massive issue with kudzu, which is an invasive species brought in initially to be helpful, but then became just very harmful and um, overtook so much of uh, the Appalachian area. That's true,
1: yeah.
0: Um, and I feel like these hags are very similar. It doesn't seem like they have any natural, I don't want to say predators, but like things to keep their, to check their, yes. to, for checks and balances. Yeah, they're there's just, nothing
1: keeping them in check.
0: Yeah, they're just kind of muck. running amuck, Right. Leading Charuka under the guise of a male
1: Charuka. It's a big trick, right? Like that's, that's part of it. Like obviously, and I've tried to signpost as well as I can, but like the Herald of Angazan isn't a, isn't a Charaka he's pretending, or she is pretending to right. be something she's not. And the rest of the Charaka are just fooled. Like they, you know, like whatever miracles or whatever kind of, you know, thing, they have been led to believe falsely. And they right. cast out like their one leader who knew the truth and then the players killed him. Right away.
0: <laughs> <laughs> of course.
1: That was, that whole thing was always supposed to be like, like them like learning some of the truth and then they killed him. Right away. Ugh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's the fun of GMing, though, really, honestly. That's true.
0: Well, talking about, like, player characters taking sudden turns, I feel like in that in the second episode or the, the most recent episode that we've listened to this week, there was a lot of kind of back and forth about the players kind of pivoting from one notion or idea or next step to another.
1: There is not an idea that they don't want to overthink, is there?
0: There was a moment where you had Shayaka be like, oh, I guess we're... Climbing back down this mountain we just climbed. Um, I got,
1: I'm glad we accomplished nothing.
0: Yeah, well, it was interesting because I, I was so curious as to why, as an NPC, you didn't push harder for your characters to kind of stick stick to a choice.
1: I was very much ready for them. You know, they were doing this. Oh, the o- Latica adventure. Olatika. O- Olatika. O- uh, who's actually funny enough? The one of the only elements to the campaign I've added since we've actually started playing. Like oh, almost okay. everything kind of existed as a note or at least like kind of a semblance of an idea a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like all the big things. Right. Olatika I invented not super long ago. Like I think like maybe a couple of weeks ago just because I felt like I needed another thing that the players could kind of look at that might help.
0: In In talking about evil characters and evil races and like lore that is based in like negative thinking... I I found it really interesting that near the tail end of this most recent episode when our player characters are entering Sugar Glade and it's empty and there's the moment where Paul asks you is it creepy and your response was I can't tell you that I can only tell you what you are perceiving and seeing in this moment you have to decide how to interpret this Yeah
1: very much so yeah so
0: can we talk a little bit about that like it's like you want to be able to set tone.
1: You do want to be able to set tone and kind of give the players in like the right mindset. Especially, you know, if you're trying to do like a serious scene, right? Yeah. There's nothing or like a scary scene especially. Yeah. Nothing, nothing will destroy those kinds of moments worse than like people are just making a joke. Yeah. At that moment, right? Like
0: we, we've talked before about um, whenever they had the long discussion with the heretic and how um, people started goofing, right?
1: Right. And it's like something like what should have been a very serious scene became kind of garbage.
0: I wouldn't call it garbage, but I'd
1: call it garbage. It wasn't
0: what you intended.
1: Yeah, yeah, but that's exactly right. Where suddenly people are just acting like they're not really role playing anymore, or we're like we've left the scene. We're above the scene now.
0: Yeah, we're looking
1: down at it
0: instead of being instead of
1: being immersed.
0: Right. So I guess how can you how can you set the tone without signposting how characters should be reading a situation? Because right now we still don't really know what's happening.
1: I think that's the point, is, like, you should, you should, try. well, as a GM, I want to try to do my best to, you know, give context clues, I guess, like, this is a creepy scene. But, like, it should, it's already a sort of creepy place, and, right. it's des- and it looks su- seemingly deserted, when it hasn't up until now, it seemed like a lively little village. Right. But now it's, like, no one's there, but, like, one building, and you know what 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 does that feel like what is it like what would how would you as a character interpret this kind of moment and i think like them being like okay well and that's the case Then i feel like maybe we're in danger and like i think that's a good reaction to have like that is more immersive than than any like that's more you're reacting to what your character is perceiving
0: i think it, it's it goes back to kind of the old film school adage of show don't tell don't tell me With dialogue, that it's so scary or awesome. Like, show me, show me what's scary and awesome. Mm -hmm. Let me see that instead of you just telling me.
1: Right, yeah. Like, I could, because there's no fun in me being like, it's a creepy scene. Like, you get the creeps. Why do you get the creeps? (laughs) Yeah. Right?
0: Well, I think it's hard too because because this is a, a podcast and we're recording there's no music when the character, yeah. when the when the players are playing like there's no. music that we add in after we're adding that to post
1: for like yeah that is being added in post for the for the sake of the audience to have like a little a little I, I like a little music
0: Oh my gosh and Annalise did such a fantastic Annalise job Annalise did such
1: a good job she's such a champ and
0: she's very cool
1: She's maybe one of the coolest people I know It's true Yeah
0: music is a great way to set the tone if you're looking to set the tone um describing th- describing things in a similar manner is there anything else that you that you like to do in order to set the tone
1: the best way to describe tone and the best way to kind of set a scene is to address and maybe i can i I could definitely be better about this but it's to address all of the senses right like Mm -hmm. what does it smell like what does it look like what do you hear Mm -hmm. what is it you know what is maybe some texture that that is applicable like are the walls slimy or like yeah i don't know is the sand coarse yeah things like that if you And you kind of address those things. Like, that is what informs... That is what is going to inform a scene. That is what's going to bring a character to really kind of understand what is surrounding them. And then a player from that point can kind of make the choice of how would this character tr- react to this stimuli.
0: It's interesting because you think about, like, a typical role-play session. It's, it's a series of vignettes, I think, with, yep. like, dialogue and, like, a little bit of metagaming in between. And so to set the stage for... For a scene, it's almost like the curtain rises, and what do you see? Mm-hmm. This is the this is the vignette you're walking into, and how do you respond? Agree. Oh, it's very cool. <laughs> it is. I it guess. is. Like I, I'm someone who really enjoys theater of the mind. Um, it's not often used in at least the the role play games that we do, simply because because I don't enjoy it. that's why it also makes for a difficult combat and it turns uh mechanics into a bit of a bit of a hassle for
1: this kind of game yeah Yeah. it works better in other games
0: but there is something i think to be said for having that moment where you are mentally immersing yourself in your setting
1: it's not just for gms players too like everybody if you want to have like the best kind of role play experience is to like really commit and really start feeling out what your character is experiencing and i think like and it's definitely a you know, like that information is information that the GM is giving to the players and the players that have to reciprocate and kind of feed back into it. And like, that's the best kind of vibe you can get.
0: Yeah. It's almost like a self-feeding loop in exactly. a way. You're responding to them. They're responding to you. And that is, I guess, RPG in a nutshell, right?
1: I would say so. Yeah. It's a, like, it's just, it's an agreed, agreed make-believe uh, using a set of rules to kind of understanding the make-believe.
0: Yeah. You're, you're all given like the same language to work in, I guess. Agreed. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Well, as always, wonderful sitting down with you. Yeah. Chatting about the game. I can't wait to see what happens in Sugar Glade. I can't wait to see all oh, the other mysteries that are hidden in this jungle.
1: What else could be there?
0: I feel like. Not much. A decent amount.
1: Like a fair amount, but like not like...
0: Because really, we've only explored like a small portion of this jungle as a whole.
1: That's true. This is only a part of the jungle. I was I always wanted to be very clear about that. Like this is like Orchid Valley, which is a region of a much larger space. Yeah.
0: Well, everyone, happy new year again. Thank you so much for joining us to talk about these last two episodes of the Mythos Manual. If you enjoy our podcast, please, please like, subscribe, share, tell your friends, tell your family. Are people asking you about D&D? Maybe show them the Mythos Manual. Uh, definitely. And then explain
1: Pathfinder versus d d
0: Yeah. I Get mean, really into it.
1: Get into the nitty gritty.
0: It is crunchy for a reason. Explain
1: the WotC takeover. Oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> well, thank you all again for joining us. And we will see you next time on this crunch of the Mythos Manual.
1: Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Mythos Manual. Be sure to check us out on our socials at Mythos Manual or our website, MythosManual.com. May all your roles be 20s.